The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads. Skype that hot Russian later. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 340 with guests Brad Abrams and Omar Khan, recorded live Tuesday, May 6th, 2008. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. And by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. Support is also provided by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now... The man who loves to dip his beignets in hot coffee, Carl Franklin. Hey, this is Carl Franklin. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's good to be with you here uh, with my friend Richard Campbell as we are twice a week for your listening pleasure. Hey, it's Richard. It's Thursday. It is Thursday. It's going to be a fun show. Always is. Always is. Yeah, I've uh, been doing a lot of work with audio Recently, as you may have seen in my fun with programming talk, um, I have a library that uh, streams digital audio, sends you basically fires an event every time it fills up a buffer. This is using the not direct sound and not ASIO, but uh, just the straight wave audio uh, API. It's a wrapper cool. around the Windows API. What I use it for is streaming audio over the Internet. So I use it with a codec, uh, a lame, the lame MP3 codec spin off a process, and I send the data to the codec, get it back, and then I take that, send it over UDP. So I have myself a little Skype application. But I just found this ASIO, which is a, a, a component that wraps ASIO in managed code. So oh, yeah. you can use it for .NET ASIO, and I'm trying to run rush through this so as not to waste uninterested people's time. Uh, ASIO is a very low-latency um, driver system that Steinberg created so that you can have multiple inputs and outputs like multi-track recording software with very small buffer sizes so that uh, you immediately see the results of your, um, of your audio. And playing software synthesizers, it's really, really important to get that data out 
as soon as you play the notes on the keyboard. So very low buffers is what it's all about. Cool. Yeah, so I found some code. I'm going to in- integrate that. And I've just been having a ball getting into it. Anyway, let's get into Better Know a Framework. Speaking of getting into it. I'm into it. What do you got? All right. Well, we've talked about this before on the show, but it's been a long time, uh, and we've talked about it more on DNR TV. I'm talking about the system.componentmodel.bindinglistoft generic class. Ah. And this provides a generic collection that supports two-way data binding. So the uh, whole idea is that if you want to create a custom list that you want to be able to bind with, uh, you know, the binding mechanism in .NET Windows Forms, you can use this as a base class, and it provides a, a, a concrete implementation of iBindingList. But, of course, since it's a base class, you can add your custom uh, parameters to it, your custom properties and methods. And also, since it's generic, it'll take any kind of object. Cool. Yeah. So, you got an email for us. I do. It's a lengthy one, but I think it's worth the read. Oh, I know which one this is. This is a uh, you great know, this is Gareth yeah. Connor. So hang on to your hats, folks. Excellent. This is a great story. Hi, Carl and Richard. This past fall, I began listening to your show, and it had a profound impact on my business in a good way. I am the owner of a small manufacturing company that produces motor control products that we use in live theater. We manufacture embedded systems that communicate with a desktop client over TCPIP sockets. One of your favorites. The embedded boxes we make have some microcontroller stuff and big power amplification GAC so that it can spin turntables, lift stages, and drag scenery around in theatrical performances. <laughs> That's Operators awesome. Operators can program the way the motors move with desktop applications running on an ordinary Windows PC. I started this business about four years ago, and the original client software was built in DB6. Hmm. Well, history being what it is, that choice has been a real thorn in my side. Soon after opening the doors on my business, I realized that the lifetime of the application was limited. But I figured, hey, who's to say I'll even be in business in a year or two? Thankfully, Hmm. the business was successful, so it became obvious that my code base was going to need to be migrated to something other than VB6 for the next version. I was one of those whiners that was pretty upset that VB6 was being dumped by Microsoft. While our desktop application contributes very little directly to our profit, no one would buy our hardware without a software interface. So in a tangential way, our software was a huge part of our business. Don't get me wrong, there were plenty of things I disliked about VB6. Lack of an implementation inheritance was probably the biggest, with no good threading story as a close number two. But from a business perspective, the thought of throwing away my investment in the existing application was unattractive. Out of spite, I vowed not to use VB.net. To port to VB.net seems to be as much of an effort as porting to something else entirely. Yep. So I spent about 12 months experimenting with different platforms, languages, libraries to find the right match. The bulk of that time I spent working on a version in Java that leveraged the NetBeam's rich client platform. After about eight months of part-time programming, I was truly discouraged. The application was taking too long to port, and I was no longer having fun with code. So Mm. I looked for greener pastures, trying out Real Basic, Delphi, and then Python. Python was by far and away my favorite, truly fun to use, but the lack of an included GUI toolkit was a bummer. Somewhere in my Python days, I found your show and started listening. With each episode, I got really interested in what I was missing in .NET. It sounded like Java, but with strong support for rich desktop applications, which always feel like an afterthought in Java. Yeah. 
I began writing little code snippets testing out the socket code and writing little console apps to communicate with our motor networks. Immediately, I was hooked. The Visual Studio environment and the VB.NET language are just fun to use. Yeah. New features like type inference and link to XML highlight how serious Microsoft is about improving the language and framework to reducing the friction when coding. Yes. I was having as much fun writing the code as when I started developing our first version of our software in VB6. I would sneak back to the shop in the wee hours of the morning when a new idea would pop into my head because I just couldn't wait to find out if it worked. Having that excitement is crucial. Yes. Yes. You know all about this. You've been right there right now. (laughs) (laughs) After a couple of weeks of writing back-end code, I was ready to start slapping together some interface stuff. New to the .NET world, I was confused whether to use WinForms or WPF. Your interview with Rocky Lotka at the Mix 2007 in Boston convinced me to give WPF a serious look, (laughs) and I'm sure glad I did. Yeah. With a heavily threaded app like ours that does a lot of rapid network communication, the WPF binding system is phenomenal. It virtually eliminated any need to begin invoke GUI updates since WPF handles that marshalling automagically. Also, the 3D features are great fun. In our VB6 application, we made a 2D schematic view that showed the motor moving around the stage in quasi-real time. It was a bunch of crude GDI code, but worked well and provided our users with a unique way to quickly see what was happening with all the scenery whizzing around the stage rather than staring at a grid of numbers updating position counters. Wow. Using WPF, I rewrote this, that schematic as a 3D model that can show things moving in all three dimensions, all without having the faintest idea of how to do any low-level 3D graphics programming. Awesome. Perhaps the most amazing thing is that it took me under four months to complete the whole project in VB.NET 2008. Wow. My first <laughs> subversion check-in was around Christmas 2007, and I'm currently avoiding finishing the manual by writing this email. This is awesome. I know it's fashionable to criticize Microsoft as the big bad Borg, and I have my share of gripes, but objectively, the .NET framework and tooling has enabled me to make a business that I can honestly say would have been a lot harder with any other framework. Yeah. Sorry for the long note. Thanks for all the great information and inspiration. Keep up the great work. If you have any interest in seeing what we do, check out www.creativeconnors.com. How do you spell that? Creative Connors. Well, the word creative and Connors is C-O-N-N-E-R-S. You know, it just goes to show you, I love getting emails like this because here's a guy who's a serious programmer, right? I mean, he's doing threads. He's doing sockets. He's not fooling around. And and to for him to come to VBNet as like, you know, a, a, a breath of fresh air and, the, and to see all the great stuff that's in the .NET framework is just wonderful. So n- no apology necessary for the long note. That that made my year. Well, absolutely. And actually, if you go take a look at his site, it's some pretty cool stuff. I'm wondering if it's not a show. Hmm. So, Gareth, I'm going to send you a mug, but I'll put it out to the listeners. Take a look at creativeconnors.com, and if you want to see more, maybe I could talk Gareth into coming on and telling us all about it. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Send us an email at .netrocks at franklins.net. And with that, Richard, let's introduce our esteemed guests, Brad Abrams and Omar Khan. Brad was a founding member of both the Common Language Runtime and the .NET Framework teams at Microsoft, where he's currently the Group PM for the UI Framework and Services team, which is responsible for delivering the developer platform that spans both clients and web-based applications, as well as the common services that are available to all applications. Specific technologies owned by this team include ASP.NET, ASP.NET AJAX, parts of Silverlight, and Windows Forms. He's been designing parts of the .NET framework since 1998, 
when he started his framework design career, building the base class library that ships as a core part of the framework. Uh, Brad was also the lead editor on the Common Language Specification, the .NET Framework Design Guidelines, and the libraries in the ECMA ISO CLI standard. Brad's been deeply involved with the .NET Framework and Windows Vista efforts from their beginning. Omar Khan is a product unit manager at Microsoft Corp, responsible for running the visual web developer product team. Since joining Microsoft in 1995, Omar has worked on several product releases, including Visual Interdev 1.0, Visual Interdev 6.0, Visual Studio 2003, Visual Studio 2005, and 2008. Prior to joining Microsoft, Omar attended the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor, from 1992 to 1995, majoring in a Bachelor's of Computer Science. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks a lot. It's good to be here. Now, these are both old-time Microsoft guys. You guys have put in 10-plus years here. Yep. Yeah, yeah I so guess that's you, right. Have you yeah. done the sabbatical thing? Yeah, I'm just getting curious. tired yet? You take a vacation once in a while? Or? Yeah, you know, talking about the sabbatical thing, it, it, you know, it's hard to find anything more fun than working here. You uh, know? I totally agree. Well, I can't agree because I don't work there, but, I mean, just to work in general is, is really fun in this yeah. business. You know, one of the questions that we, we've been thrown at a couple of times recently was, how's your work-life balance? And and my reaction is always like I'm already doing what I love. Yeah. They keep trying to tell me it's work. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you, now you got to ask my wife how my work life balance. Uh, that's <laughs> a good get point. A different answer there. That's a whole other thing. Yeah, Omar, yeah. you're about to become a husband, are you not? Yeah, and uh, I think my work life balance is going to have to get better after that. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was funny as Omar and, and Richard and I were talking before Brad came on the conference line, and he says, "Yeah, I'm getting married." And Richard and I both said, "Repeat after me." I was wrong. <laughs> At the same time, we both said this. <laughs> I'm sorry, I was wrong. That's that's the secret to a happy marriage. Absolutely. So, Thanks for all the advice. So we are here to uh, to to. Say something important, are we not? Yeah, so you guys actually get to be the first show where we talk. Uh, it's sort of the worst-kept secret, but we get to talk about <laughs> Visual Studio 2008 SP1 and DynaFamework 3.5 SP1. Awesome. Yeah. We've, we've been kind of hush-hush about it to try to let, the, let customers adopt the current thing, but uh, we have been hard at work on the, on the SP1 of these, of these releases. And this crosses web, Windows Forms... Uh, just about every part of the framework, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, y- you know, it, um, since we've released 2008, uh, you know, we've been working, we have a, this new philosophy, I think, in DevDiv that's about how do we uh, provide uh, customer value quicker. Um, and one of the ways we're looking at using is this is this uh, kind of SP channel to get that. And so across the um, the .NET framework and Visual Studio, um, we've done a lot of, a lot of stuff. So yeah, we can we can kind of run through the the gamut of stuff that's there. Well, let's start with the most exciting feature. Well, do you think that's in uh, Visual Studio or .NET? Well, I'm asking you. I mean, uh, I have my own ideas, but you I, know, I was it's asking your Brad. Oh, good. Oh, well, good. I think the most exciting. Well, I you know I guess my surprise. I I was going to try and hold my most exciting feature to the end because I think to I'm the, the only one with. <laughs> This we, one of we, these features, you know, that I, I I am getting super excited. It's because I've been on the on the CLR for so long. I've just been fighting for this feature, and I finally get it in SP1. Okay, well, we're, I'll we'll remind you of it. We'll hold it to the end. Okay. Maybe we should start a talk about the because there's such a mix of things here that there are some actual fixes to the framework, right? 
Yeah, you mean bug fixes. I mean, real, yeah, this is not just feature additions, but real fixes. Yeah, yeah. So one thing I, I you know, over the last um, week or so, I went on this mission to, to kind of gather a list of all the things we were doing. Um, and I got the feature list uh, that we can talk about, but I didn't get the bug fix list. We fixed, you know, hundreds and hundreds of customer-reported issues um, that people are finding as they're deploying Visual Studio and .NET Framework. So the stability and the quality of just the current features are definitely getting a lot better. i got to imagine most of those fixes would be in Studio, not the framework. Is that true? It depends. I mean, I think on the Studio side, I did actually dig up some stats. Um, All right. Specifically for the the web tooling, um, which is kind of the areas that Brad and I cover, um, we fixed, uh, I think, over 200 bugs, and 85 of those were, were directly um, bugs that customers had reported. So, you know, one of our focuses is to is to fix the bugs that we hear from customers. But I think same thing on the framework side. I mean, yeah, absolutely. we do focus on the customer customer bugs and try and fix as many of those as we can. How are these it, customer bugs being reported? Uh, it's, it's interesting. It's actually a variety of sources. You can get the, the connect um, kind of feedback channel that um, where, you know, individuals can enter bugs directly. Uh, we get a lot of bugs um, through blogs and just uh, other customer connections we've made, like, you know, being at a conference or being on shows like this. Um, we will kind of get our names out there, and, and as we meet people, we do get feedback directly from them as well. There's actually a, a category in our bug tracking database that says, from Scott Goo's blog. Ah. Yeah, <laughs> that's definitely the source. <laughs> and that's a steady stream of issues. Well, and, and it's in, I'm in, and I'm thinking exactly that. The listener's thinking, I'm glad you're fixing bugs that we cared about. How did you know about them? Yeah. So, and it's yeah. not just that they're emailing you or they're reporting through some tool inside of MSDN, but that they're actually in blog posts and in blog comments. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wasn't there an, an email alias for reporting bugs? I mean, the official way is the Connect channel. Um, okay. That's the way I would ask the you know the the multitude of .NET Rocks listeners to go use um, Connect, and there's a way to file a bug report and put a repro in there, and that um, that helps us out a lot. And that's Connect.Microsoft.com. That's right. That's right. usually the problem with bug reports, isn't it? That people don't give you enough information to really. You know, yeah. they expect you to say, "Oh, that one. Yes, we fixed that." You know, it's like, yeah. And there's a fine line between you know a bug report versus you know a suggest. feature request or yeah. something doesn't work the way the customer thinks it should work. Um, those are things we like to get during the beta cycle, but you know, once we've shipped, it's those are tougher. Then you get into the situation of no, that's where I know it's not doing what you want, but it is working the way it was intended to work. Yeah. 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 Huh. Okay. Well, let's start with uh, the website. Let's talk about the new things in ASP.NET. Sure. So, I mean, or maybe we can we can alternate. So I, sure. I'll, I'll mention a platform one, and you can mention a, a sure. trolling one. Has that? Sure. Yeah. Let's let's see who can outdo each other. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And then we'll let your listeners vote on that. Um, so uh, I think the the leading feature uh, in SP one is uh, ASP.NET Dynamic Data. Uh, okay. And this, you know, what we really thought about here is in in um, 3.5, we introduced this great concept called Link, uh, and it, we get this, it basically gives you this objective view. It lets you view data as a set of objects, and you get, and a part of that is we get this first class notion of what the relationships are. So you don't have just a static set of tables with foreign keys and primary keys. We know that there are these, these sorts of relationships. We know what the types of these things are. 
Um, and so what we did is we built a um, UI model that understands link, that natively understands um, the, the representative re- representation of these types. Uh, and so it does, uh, rather than just a data grid that just shows rows and columns of things, we can we know about the data. So rather than showing a foreign key ID, we can go ahead and show a link that traverses to uh, that other table. Um, so it's a way to to make building data-driven web apps much, much quicker. Just to sort of automate that parent-child relationship. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you guys did a show on this recently, right? Uh, we haven't yet. Oh, you, it's coming you're out You're coming soon. first, but yes, we will do a show on dynamic data. But if you think about um, CRUD-based a- applications, I mean, how many web apps have you written that basically it's a glorified crea- uh, view of, of some relational database where you're you create records in there, you update them, you delete the records. I mean, that is that is a large percentage of web applications right. are, are basically front ends to databases. Well, and it's um, the same thing over and over again, right? Just that sort yeah. of standard block of code to do the CRUD work. That's right. And and so what we've done with dynamic data is a, it's a full system. Um, it's not just look at a schema in a database and generate some HTML that's unmaintainable. Um, it's a it's a full system that has several kind of well-defined extensibility points that you can go in and say, you know, anytime you see the customer table, display it this way. Here's the UI to use. Or anytime you see um, a monetary value, a decimal value, or a currency value, display it this way. So there's a it's a templated based system. Excellent. So I mean, what I find interesting about that is I got to have a group of programmers that would work to a common standard, then. Yep. Using templates. Yep, yep. And now you know, we work those templates. So those templates can work. They work obviously in our uh, controls within ASP.NET, but they also work within third-party controls. We've done a lot of work with the third-party control vendors, so that's just ready to go. Now, does um, that does that mean that the third-party controls have to be compatible, or are they by de facto? Well, you get you get some basic level by by default, uh, but to get the the deeper experience, there is some minor work that they need to do to okay. kind of go understand. You know, rather than just displaying this decimal, go get its field template and. So, if you're it. buying uh, data, if you're buying controls from a third party, you want to make sure that they're going to work with dynamic data. Yeah, and and we're, I, mean, I think most of the big ones are already kind of have those in the works coming out very soon. Great, cool. Um, Do you know the perfect formula for building and managing websites? Follow me here. Zero effort plus Sitefinity CMS equals infinity in website development. That's right. Telerik challenges you to explore its innovative Sitefinity content management system and offers you a chance to win a sleek Zune MP3 player or a Sitefinity license. These cool awards could be yours if you only answer a few easy questions about Telerik's Sitefinity CMS. All you have to do is watch five short movies and see how easy it is to build infinitely beautiful websites with zero effort. You'll learn some cool facts about Sitefinity and the effortless creation of websites. So go to www.sitefinity.com and give it a try. It's fun, it's interesting, and it can get you a free license or a free Zoom. Omar, yep. Brad's led with dynamic data. What do you got? You're on. Okay, well, uh, 
I think since we're on the topic, I'll, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about dynamic data and some small stuff we've done in Visual Studio, but I think I'll also add one more thing just to kind of uh, add, on to, add on to the stuff. So for dynamic data, we are actually supporting um, a lot of what Brad said uh, inside of Visual Studio directly. So we've added templates to help you discover um, how to kind of add some of the syntax that dynamic data has. Also, We've added templates that kind of help you discover some of the extensibility that, that Brad was just talking about in terms of being able to add, you know, certain uh, templates for certain types of fields that you might want to display a certain way. So uh, for the dynamic data pieces, that's uh, some small stuff that we've done in SP1. But for some larger things, I think one of the big things that we've done on the Visual Studio side is actually, uh, once again, around data is added support um, for SQL Server 2008. And uh, specifically, um, some areas that, that we've done is uh, but the Express products, Visual Web Developer Express and the other Express products now all um, ship with SQL Server 2008 Express uh, as well. Um, we've added drag-and-drop support for SQL 2008 specific data types so that when you're dragging things out um, from the Server Explorer, um, we support the, the new data types that SQL 2008 has. Um, in addition, the designers for SQL Data Source and Object Data Source also support those new types. So um, one of the big things you, you will see with the SP1 um, is that, um, you know, it is going to be fully supporting the SQL 2008 release, and, and that's a big part of it. Awesome. Not to detour from this basic path, but I seem to remember a time when service packs just meant fixes. You know, yeah, we have so much discussion around I wondered around how features. long it would take you to, <laughs> to ask this question. You guys have been a little loose with descriptions of 0.5 and service packs, and yeah. they all seem to mesh around together. Yeah, so, I mean, one thing I will say, especially on the framework side, is we've worked very hard on, on compatibility. Um, you know, we, we have a whole compat lab, a whole suite of applications that we run. And so while I think there's an impressive set of features that we're adding to, to the platform in, in, S, in SP1, um, we're doing it in a very, very compatible way. We've gone through a lot of uh, angst to make sure that as customers adopt SP1, it won't break their apps. I also find it impressive that you're already working with SQL Server 2008, and it hasn't shipped yet. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, this yeah. is still a CTP edition, right? Yeah, I, I think they're doing. Yeah, so basically, it's going to ship at at roughly the same time as this SP ship. Okay. Oh, okay. So it's imminent. It is imminent. That's right. That's right. But I, I mean, I think we're used to the fact that a version of SQL Server come out, and it'd be some time before there'd be specific support for it in Studio. And it's nice to see those things being tightly together. That's right. That's right. Yeah, so as Omar mentioned, we've plumbed that up and down the stack. So all the new, you get first class support for all the new stuff in, in SQL 2008, um, across the framework, across the tools. Can I ask what ASP.NET routing support is all about? Yeah, that was going to be the next one I was going to bring up. So, so here's, here's the thing to think about. Like, have you ever been to an ASP.NET site or any website really and seen the URL and it's just really a cryptic mess with, with, you know, question mark ID equals whatever, question mark this, and, and it's just very hard to understand. Um, and that's an aesthetic part of the site nowadays. Like, people actually want to control what that URL looks like. Right. Uh, and what URL route does is it allows you to define what the syntax of the URL looks like. So you can, instead of question mark ID equals one, two, three, you can have, um, uh, you know, 
you can do details whack one two three. You know, you can have that in a very kind of clean looking uh, URL. Uh, Where have we se- we've seen this in MVC? Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. So you control. might have seen this in MVC, and people, you know, some of the people that have been really attracted to it in MVC. Um, I think are going to be very happy to see that we've added it as a core part of ASP.NET. So now well, there's really no reason not to, right? There's really no reason not to. I mean, when I saw that as part of MVC, I thought, yeah, I'd like that. Yeah, exactly. You'd like that, whether or not whether you kind of decide MVC. to opt in to you know TDD or some of the other stuff. Like it, it's just a good feature, and so yeah, yeah we um, that's now kind of available in a in a in a very nice way for uh, for for web forms as well as of course uh, MVC. Okay. Omar? All right. Let's pick something new. So one of the big things I think that, that a lot of people are going to like is um, we're, we're now adding class library and web application projects to Visual Web Developer Express. And uh, that basically brings, you know, the ability to go build libraries that are going to be used in your web apps inside of your Visual Web Developer Express product and also then sets up uh, the ability to, you know, go use MVC uh, and, and those kinds of patterns that lend themselves to a class library type uh, compilation model uh, inside of Visual Web Developer Express. Previously, we only supported the, the website uh, kind of dynamic compilation uh, project model. Right. So this is one of those things that I think a lot of users have been looking for, and, and we're pretty happy about being able to add that in. And, and just to be clear here, I get the sense that you wanted to make the MVC available to the hobbyist developer, the typical audience for Express, and so you added this capability to make that possible. That's one of the reasons, absolutely, is to make sure that the patterns that those, the customers are using, you know, the, the, the people that are using Visual Web Developer Express, making sure that we enable those patterns for them. Uh, I think the other is that there are, you know, outside of MVC, there are other patterns, just the ability to build a class library, which we generally recommend kind of partitioning your app that way, that's a best um, practice, really. Yeah, exactly. So kind of enabling those best practices, we definitely uh, thought made a lot of sense. So that yeah, was kind I, of a no-brainer. I don't know if people really realize this, but the Express product is absolutely free and forever. It's not like a trial version. Right. And it's, and it's fully featured, especially now with, with class library support. It's, it's a fully featured, um, IDE. So, uh, you know, a lot of, for, you know, a lot of small projects that people are working on an open source kind of, uh, project or or you know at a small company it's a it's a good thing to go to go look at absolutely yeah all right i think so you're up, i would so i'll counter with uh or i'll raise the stakes uh so um uh we have this uh new support in asp.net for dealing with um uh history points so like the there's this back button problem within an ajax application you know what happens when you're when you're in the middle of uh, working on uh, in the middle of an application, you hit back. What happens? Yeah. Like you go yeah, back. Some, to trouble. Some random thing probably happens because the the web to date it was not really built to to understand the back button. Um, so what we've done is we've done all the work to with standards of JavaScript and and different kind of uh, 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 how do you say creative coding exercises with all the browsers, Safari, Firefox, IE, everything on all the platforms to make you have a you know a, a single API that you can control what happens when the back button gets hit. Yeah, well that's uh, great because so that's a cool feature. Sorely, that's a, a pretty needed. amazing. I mean, anybody who actually understands the plumbing of 
of a browser, that's a really hard thing to do, right? Yeah, you don't you don't want to really understand what's going on under the covers. It's just it's it's a beautiful thing. You just say uh, add a history point, um, and then when the when you get uh, on navigate event, you get that history point data back. You know, it's it's beautiful. You don't have to understand the trickery. The first thing that comes to mind of the usefulness of that is. You know, anytime you're storing view state on the server side, whether it's in files or in session or anything, you run the risk of getting out of sync when the user presses the back button. Yep. And uh, just to be able to have a little tag, you know, a little ID or something that changes. Stick a little ID in there. Now you've solved that problem. Yeah. The other thing that's great is um, you. A lot of times, the web is a fundamentally collaborative place. A lot of times, when I'm browsing something, looking at a catalog or something, I want to send exactly this view to my wife so she can look at it as well. Uh, and being able to to use the same support to have permalinks or have some kind of deep linking support within the application so you can get a URL to exactly this point within the app. Yeah, that's uh, great. pretty powerful. Next up is Omar. All right. Okay, let's see if I can top that. So I think you're on the topic of Ajax. Uh, yeah. I think I'll have to counter with uh, some features for JavaScript. So... Um, most people know Visual Studio 2008 uh, introduced uh, IntelliSense and, and better editing capabilities for JavaScript, uh, specifically uh, for ASP.NET AJAX as well. Um, one of the things we've done in SP1 is taken that to the next level, and uh, one of the big things we're adding is formatting for JavaScript. So previously you had IntelliSense and colorization. The formatting, um, as you would expect in languages like VB and C Sharp, wasn't there for JavaScript. Now you pretty much have uh, the full editing capabilities that you would expect of any language. So JavaScript is going to also have full formatting capabilities and options uh, in Visual Studio 2008 SP1. Nice. Well, and awesome when you think about, you know, you're now instrumenting a language that's not yours. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I mean, it's one thing to make all that stuff work when it's C-sharp and you own it, and you can go talk to the C-sharp guys. But we're talking about an ECMA standard, like ick. Yeah. That's not easy. And it's not just that, it's the nature of JavaScript. Uh, I mean, the, the, the formatting is a little bit easier because of the syntax, but um, things like giving uh, accurate IntelliSense, uh, it does require a lot of smart inference about, you know, what, what a particular type is and what kind of IntelliSense you should get right. on that given type. And, and that is very, very difficult, and we've spent a lot of time uh, getting, getting the correctness on that. Now, because you, you've gotten on that, we, we we now support IntelliSense on some of the other AJAX frameworks as well, right? Yeah, I was saving that for the oh, uh, sorry. for for another counter, but I, <laughs> since you brought it up, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to try to get them all out of the way. Yeah, I think this is a strategy of yours, is <laughs> yeah. uh, like pulling these out of uh, out of my list so that you have more things, huh? Yeah. Uh, so I, I guess we, since you brought it up, we could, we can talk about, and we're on the topic of JavaScript. I think the other big news is uh, we are adding uh, several, in, in the beta, we'll be adding several frameworks that we provide IntelliSense for, um, of those um, being jQuery, uh, ext.js, and, and Prototype. And, uh, and we'll continue um, between the beta and kind of final release period validating more frameworks uh, and, and adding them to our supported list of frameworks where we provide IntelliSense against those. And, and the great thing is that the community has done a fabulous job of taking things like jQuery and annotating the library with additional comments so that you get even richer IntelliSense and type information um, uh-huh. when you're doing the IntelliSense in Visual Studio. So we're seeing, you know, some fantastic kind of community involvement um, as the IntelliSense gets better and better. Wow. 
Yeah, so we still think the Microsoft Ajax library is a fabulous library to go use, and it, and it still has great support. But it's, it's good that in those cases where you need to use another Ajax library, you still get the full power of Studio. All right. So another one, since we're on Ajax, I'll stay on Ajax, is this script combining feature. Um, uh-huh. And uh, if anybody's done any reasonably complicated Ajax work with, uh, with like the Ajax Control Toolkit or, or with a page, with a, with, with a complicated Ajax page, uh, what happens is you end up downloading lots and lots of these really small JavaScript files, you know, the one for autocomplete and the one for watermark and the one for this, one for that. Um, yeah, it's and, not hard to have a dozen. It's not. Right. It's not. You know, you can just you know wake up and you have a dozen. It's amazing. Um, and and what's what's a little troubling about it, 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 you get to be some page load issues because the browsers um, have a have a thing where they only do two simultaneous requests at a time. So you can only go fetch two and bring them back, and then go fetch another two and then bring those back. And not to disagree with you, Brad, here, but JavaScript has to be serial. It can't even do two. Oh, no, it can't even do two. It's only one, yeah. Right, well, because it could have inline code. That's and true. And because the browser is bound to execute the code as it downloads, it'll have to do one at a time. There you go. And that actually changes in IE8. That's right. So IE8 is making that one is making that one. Uh, they're mitigating that. Well, they do two things. One is, A, they're ignoring the... The 2616, and I'm such a geek for knowing this number, the RFC 2616 spec for HTTP 1.1, which says yeah. only have two, yeah. it's it's from 1999. It should be ignored. Yeah. Right? yeah. So they're ignoring that and going to six simultaneous connections, and they've decoupled rendering and downloading, so now they can actually download multiples and then render in the right order. But yep. to it's definitely a pain point, and you can tell I've been working on this stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, totally. It's definitely a totally. pain point for IE7 that yeah, it's one JavaScript file at yep. a time. Yep, and so the solution that we, um, that we came up with is, is called script combining, where on the server you can go tell script manager, okay, here are the scripts that I'm going to use on this page. Uh, and then uh, what we'll do is go ahead and combine those on the server into a single file, uh, and that does two things. That's only one request from the browser to get that file. Uh, and then two is uh, the compression ratio on the file is going to be a lot better because you can you, you can do a better job of compression over a large over a single large file than a bunch of small files. For sure. Um, and so um, that what that does is it, it it greatly reduces the page load size. Okay, it's my turn. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm sorry, we're stunned. <laughs> but it, it's a very cool idea, and and obviously you guys are well positioned to do that. So yeah, and I saw it at the MVP summit actually. Okay, great, they, great. They showed off some of that, so I'm really excited about. it. I think it's a very cool thing to do. Yep. But yes, yeah, right. Omar, it's your turn. Okay, go All ahead. Right. Well, it, I wouldn't classify it as a as a feature in itself, but I think one of the things I wanna I wanna talk about next is probably the effort we've had around uh, uh, focusing on performance in, in Service Pack One for the specifically for the Visual Studio side of of, of things. Um, uh, the the web tooling team introduced uh, a, a kind of an early hotfix that we shipped uh, shortly after 2008 uh, to kind of address some of the performance issues that we heard about. Um, in SP1, I think we're really rounding out kind of uh, addressing any performance concerns that we've kind of heard out, heard from customers and specifically kind of focusing on making sure that both the editor and designer um, are kind of 
uh, you know, much better performing than they were in Visual Studio 2005. As, as folks know, we have a brand new design surface uh, in 2008 that adds a lot of new capabilities, but um, some of the things that we did hear from some customers were that there were spe- very specific scenarios that were a little bit uh, slower than what they were expecting. So uh, I think, you know, just kind of calling out that performance, I think, is going to be a big noticeable uh Improvement um, when folks try out uh, the service pack one. Do you mind? And you're talking at studio as a whole here. Yeah. Do you yeah, mind elaborating studio. a little bit on what those performance bottlenecks were? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think uh, we're looking at. So I was just talking about JavaScript. Um, one of the things that um, you know, because of the way we parse the files, as you're editing files in JavaScript, the the time it takes for us to rebuild up that IntelSense. Um, there's definitely some optimizations that we've made there where the delay is not as noticeable anymore. Uh, previously, you may have to make an edit in an external file and then, you know, go to another file that's referencing that JavaScript file and maybe have to wait a few seconds and that's been dropped down significantly. Um, I think some of the other places, uh, such as uh, switching to design view, there was some specific code uh, around extenders that was doing a little bit more lookup than, than we were wanting to do, so we've optimized that. And so switching to design view should be very fast. Uh, and then the other areas that I think we've, we've heard a little bit about was uh, around typing uh, in design view, which uh, also is an area that we're focusing on. Outside of the web tooling area, uh, generally, though, uh, folks should see performance uh, improved, uh, both in Visual Studio, and I think the, Brad can talk to, you know, the, the .NET framework also making some performance improvements, which not only would affect Visual Studio positively, but generally I think it will affect all .NET uh, apps positively. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that actually might be a good, a good um, segue. I, my, uh, my next list was a bunch of stuff we've done kind of for client developers. Okay. Are we ready to do that, Omar? Yeah, or let's do you... go. Yeah, I think uh, I, I can sprinkle in more web stuff along the way, but yeah. Sure, yeah. Why don't we go there? Okay. So what... Um, so, so I mean, the next says a, a bunch of things for clients. If I were to ask you guys, what do you think is the number one pain point for for client? What, what would you say? Are you talking WPF. about? Are you talking about Windows uh, apps in general? Yeah, Windows apps in general. Uh, oh, wow! Um, I still find WPF, WPF too actually. difficult to use. I still think deployment is an issue. Deployment. I totally uh. agree. This is why I'm. I'm uh, that's this is one that we really spend a lot of time focusing on is, is deployment of apps and deployment of the framework itself. Right. Uh, we still you know, need you to ship get the that, framework. Yeah. You got to get that framework on the, on the target machine. Um, and, and how and big the, is it now? Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty big, uh, <laughs> but here, but but here, this you know, with I mean, but you know, there's a lot of value in that. Uh, but what we've done is actually for the first time in the history of the framework, we have a client-only redist. So we've taken oh, really? all the server gunk. We have a we we have a full redist. So that's that that's no different than the than the than the standard wow. readers. But then we also have a client one that doesn't have any of the ASP.NET stuff in it. It doesn't have sure. anything that, that, you know, um, enterprise services kind of stuff. It's really focused at client-only scenarios. Um, and so that thing is uh, 20, 26.5 meg is, is where we are. So that's much smaller. The full framework is yeah, it's be around 50, a lot larger right? than that. Do what? It's got to be around 50, I think. Uh, yeah, I think it's larger than that. Yeah. Wow. 
Well, normally you don't get it as one file, right? You actually download like two and then three and three, five. That's right. Yeah. With the SP thing and this comes down and then that. Yeah. So, 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 um, so we've worked a lot on the install experience. So one thing you'll notice is that, um, when you do a client app, uh, you know how you can select the target framework? Right. Um, there's a little check mark. If you select 3.5 as a target framework, there's a little check mark that says, oh, and now it gives me the client-only framework. And that'll gray mm. out some DLLs. You know, you won't be able to use some parts of the framework. Um, but then it'll huh. make sure your app runs on just that subset. Now, is that is that inherently going to reduce the amount of memory that a client application takes? Or is, it a, is that a moot point? Because unless you actually reference... A, an assembly, yeah. it's not going to load that, in the process. I think that's, I mean, it depends on how you want to look at it, but my, the technical answer is that it, 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 it only depends on what you reference. Right. Um, but the good news is that this will have people more likely to not reference, you know, some, so we've seen people reference system web DLL to get some URL parsing API. Yeah, or to send them which, email you know, is fine, but that does bring system web DLL into your working set of your app. And that may not be worth it for that one API. Um, but we've, I mean, we've done a lot of work on this. So one of the things is this um, immediate responsiveness. So when we have now a very, very small bootstrapper to install the framework, um, and it's 200K. So think huh. of a web deploy experience. You click this link to install this app. You have to only have to download 200K before you get the first initial uh, UI that comes up. That oh, that's says, great. You know, hey, what do you, you know, accept the security prompt or have the EULA or whatever. Well, that's interesting because the regular setup does that to an extent, doesn't it? It has a bootstrapper and it does download most yeah, of the Yeah, it framework. has a bootstrapper that's like five and a half meg or something. Oh, okay. Or, I, I don't... 200K, man, that's awesome. What did yeah, you guys write in assembly K, language? So, yeah, we worked, worked hard <laughs> on that. It is written in unmanaged. It's no, you write it in assembly language is my exactly. question. Um, exactly. <laughs> And so we have it, we have it now to three clicks. So, you know, we've gotten it, I think, to the minimum number of clicks before from a clean XP machine with no framework on it until your app runs. So there's one, one click to actually run the XE to click on the, the app to run. Um, and then there's, there's one kind of security dialogue that, that you have to accept. And then one click to accept the EULA for the application that has the framework EULA in wow. it. So three clicks. So that's that's pretty cool. Um, and then we've done some work with the. Uh, a lot of times, which what, what you want to do is you, users think about installing your app that you've written. They don't think installing the framework. So right. having some UI coming that installing the .NET framework, blah blah. You know, like that. Yeah. That's not part of the experience for your app. That's not a good experience. It's not good. So what we've done is uh, we've given hooks so you can build custom branded UI. So it, it it looks like you're installing your app the whole time. You know, you can have preview screens or did you know kind of things um, to install the app. Because it's all about deception to the end exactly. user, isn't it? Exactly, it really, really is. Uh, keep the user excited, <laughs> keep them interested while things are going on. <laughs> Pay no attention uh, to that scroll bar over there. Yep. Um, and then uh, we've done we've we've gotten lots and lots of uh, we call them Watson error reports, like when when that if you fail to install the .NET framework, you can click a little button that says send this report to Microsoft. What that does is there's these guys that have that you know get a little shock every time one of those reports come in. <laughs> you know and uh so those guys are tired of getting shocked. So I they've done they a, smelled smoke. Yeah, 
exactly. They've done a bunch of work on the framework to find out, like, what are the issues with, you know, when it when the framework fails to install, why is that? If something was in use or some registry key, and we've made the installation of the framework a lot more robust. So that's good. Um, so I mentioned the, the size, 26.5 meg. Um, that's um, on a typical broadband connection. It's about six minutes. So that's that's pretty good. Um, six minutes to install. Uh, and then the app first run, uh, we're because we not only install the full framework, we're actually engine uh, or kind of pre-compile the whole framework. Uh, it means that all the bits are warm in memory and everything's engine. So when you go to run the app, it's it's instantaneous. It's like three seconds from when setup completes wow. before your app runs. It's it's really nice. Wow. Nice kind of perfect And is that pre-jitting? This is client only, obviously. Th- yeah, this is, a, this is a client. We're in the client section now, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, and then, and then, as Omar mentioned, um, related to this effort, also, I, I would say the deployment's the number one. The number two for me, for a client experience, it has been that startup time issue. You know, how long once the app's already installed, you're running it for the second or third time. You double click the exe. How long before the app actually starts up? Um, and we've done a lot of work within both WPF and the base level CLR to make cold startup time um, a lot better. You will you will absolutely notice this um, performance. We've seen for some very large WPF apps, we've seen them get twice as fast starting up. Do you get this performance when you're using click once as well? Yeah, yes. Yeah, so this is a base level CLR kind of uh, feature. Awesome. Yep. Wow. Um, and then kind of more WPF goodness, since we're on the WPF wagon now with this client thing. Um, uh, so we have a new effects API. So uh, uh, we now you can write um, you know, uh, kind of ways to transform and make you know the AP, the your UI shimmer and give it different effects. Really, and all of it will be hardware accelerated. So before you know some of the effects stuff kind of forced you down a software rendering path, which affected some of your performance issues. Uh, and now it's all hardware accelerated. So that's that's really good. Wow, that's very interesting. What kinds of effects are we talking about? You said like a shimmer. Like a blur effect or, a, you know, you know, you, you think about things. kind of doing cool things when mouse over happens. Yeah. Um, we say cool things. We should, uh, things that provide business value for the application ah, to help users know <laughs> the context. There's some, there were yeah. some fantastic internal demos I've seen of that. I don't know if, uh, if there's any plans to post any of those or. Yeah, I'm, I, I know. I'm sure they're working on those. Yeah. Wow. Uh, but yeah, but I am excited cool to stuff. see some love going to WPF just to make it yep. easier for more developers to jump yep. in and get things done. Yep, yep. So here's my next, speaking of that, my next favorite one is if you've done WPF development, you know about this, like there's no, uh, in the designer, there's no events tab. There's no way to actually go in and see what the events are and sign up for those ah. from within the designer. You have to do all that in code. Yeah. Um, and so now, since I'm bringing it up, of course, we're adding that in SP1. So now there's a, an events tab there in the in the WPF designer. You can go Excellent. sign up. It looks, you know, kind of very similar to the kind of parity with ASP.NET and WinForms now. And that slowly but surely. Yeah, Omar, man. did he just get two in a row? 
I think he it was did, like four but, in a row. Yeah, sorry about that. I was going crazy. Pretty fine. Mark, he, he just kind of changed topics and uh, he's just running. Just keep with going. It. <laughs> yeah, I, I was actually close to the end of my list. I I was. Uh, I, I mean, the things that I, I'm uh, I'm personally tracking is is more on the web tooling. I'm sure there's a lot more generally in Visual Studio. Um, Brad talked about a few of those, like the events tab. Um, there's one other thing that I would I would encourage is. Um, we have a blog uh, for our team that basically, you know, when, when the show goes out, we'll actually have in detail not just the features that I talked about and descriptions of those, but also in detail uh, descriptions about some of the bugs that we fixed and descriptions of those bugs and pointers to the actual uh, MS Connect uh, uh, entries for them so that uh, people, you know, can get a little bit more information. I won't, since there were, you know, I was mentioning there's about 80, 80 odd bugs that we fixed, I won't go into the detail about all of them. But I could kind of just uh, reference the blog so that uh, folks could go to it um, when they hear the show. Okay. Sure. Yeah, and it's it's basically uh, blogs.msdn.com uh, forward slash web dev tools, all, all one word. All right, good. Awesome. So not, I, I, you know, I know that, um, so, you know, not to give too much love just to WPF is uh, also a very cool feature uh, we added to WinForms in this release. Um you you might have been tracking that that there was um, a power pack set of controls uh, for Visual Basic that did point and uh, line and shape kind of controls. Right. So uh, we've now added that in, as a kind of core part of Visual Studio. So you can in a WinForms app go and drag a rectangle out on the form. In fact, I'm playing with it right now. It's very cool. Um, and you know you can use those to help do layout of your of your application. So that's that's kind of a cool cool a cool new addition. Hey, I just want to give a shout-out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output, give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActorReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. Brad, while we're on the topic of WinForms, are we going to see a time when development on WinForms essentially stops and WPF is the way? Well, you know, I think it's a very kind of customer, customer-driven thing. Um, WinForms is a very mature technology. I mean, we're in our third-plus version of the thing. So the kinds of things that developers using WinForms need are very different than the kinds of things that developers using WPF need. Right. Um, so for WinForms, it's more like what's the data access strategy look like and whatnot and and the application-level services sort of work that we did in 3.5 rather than kind of core WinForms itself. Are we going to see like a WinForms 4.0? Yeah. So, uh, we, you know, we should get together and talk about, you know, .NET Framework 4.0 when we get when we get a little closer. Oh, that's a whole um, other issue, I guess, ah. bigger than that. Yeah, yeah. So there will be a .NET Framework 4.0. And, uh, and I get the feeling, and this is a purely a feeling of a guy who has no inside knowledge of any kind. Yes, yes. That that's got to be a topic for PDC. Yes. Probably. Yes. Sure, why not? We're going to be talking about this a little bit at PDC. Yeah. Sure. Definitely. So, um, so yeah, you should definitely stay tuned to that. But, yeah, I mean, it, I, but just so no one worries between now and the PC, um, I can guarantee WinForms is part of .NET Framework 4. All right. 
That's, so that's good to know. That is good to know. It's not like you fired those guys or anything, right? Well, I mean, that's Richard, right. look how long it took for Visual Basic to sort of go away. I mean, the things just don't go away that easily. Yeah, and Visual Basic hasn't really gone away. It changed. You want to talk about go away, talk Fox Pro. Yeah. And even that, it's, really, it's not even been a thrown out. It's just, okay, it's over here. We're not making more versions. You can work on it if you want. Yeah, I, I think that yeah. things rarely, rarely go away. They just get yeah. used less. I mean, people, you know, for a lot of apps, it's the right technology to go use. Sure. But I, I do get that sense on the street that people worry, I'm going to have to use WPF soon because yeah. WinForms is dead. And I just, uh, I wanted to yeah. give some air to that. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Tell them, you know, Brad added point and line controls to WinForms, so therefore you don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to move. I think more likely is they're going to think, we better move to WPF because our customers are asking for it. Now, if you're trying to do some really differentiated UI, you know, the thing is, WPF is probably the thing to go do if that's Absolutely. what your right. customers are asking for. And I do think there's a trend for doing more of that kind of application. For sure. For sure. But at the same time, also, we have to admit the maturity of WPF isn't where WinForms is. You know, it's still an, an evolving technology. And, and right. uh, we, I'm sure we haven't seen the, the ultimate manifestation of what it's going to be like to build a WPF app. That's right. That's right. So things are definitely getting better. You know, I talk about some minor things that are getting better in the designer and WPF and some, some you know, general client things. But yeah, I mean, things are definitely evolving in the WPF space. How about XAML? Is there anything new for the XAML tweakers out there? Yeah. So um, one thing, I, I wasn't going to mention it, but you goad me into it. So um, <laughs> we're doing um, some, um, wait, let's see if I can, yeah, so uh, XAML debugging errors. So, uh, so as you, so kind of, we call them kind of code focused developers that just like to type in XAML. They don't want to use the designer at all. Uh, we're doing a much better job of showing, uh, errors in the XAML kind of while you're typing, um, sort of IntelliSense kind of things. Cool. Yeah. So that's very cool. WCF? Um, yeah. WCF. So that's a good one. So let's, let's bust down the WCF real quick. Um, so uh, a lot of performance uh, and scalability sort of things. Uh, so they, you know, they're we're, we're seeing some um, uh, scale increases five to ten x with some of the some of the work they've done. Um, there's uh, kind of new some usability work with the data serializer. Uh, they enable partial trust uh, debugging. Uh, uh, and then, and then, of course, support for uh, we we will come back to data in just a second. But support for entity framework within WCF contracts, so you can serialize those. Cool. I, I have an yeah. additional thing yeah. for WCF, kind of small but sure. handy. Uh, if people using WCF, you probably notice there's quite a bit of syntax in config. Uh, and so, one of the things we've done in Visual Studio is if if you go to your uh, your service class and you just you know, the one that Visual Studio generates and you just rename it to my web service or whatever, um, Visual Studio will now actually do the smart rename uh, both through the SVC file and the web config to kind of get all the interfaces that, that WCF defines updated. Wow, cool. That's a very cool one. Yeah, that's got to be very handy. Yeah. i got to add that to my list. Um, so, uh, so here's one for C-sharp developers. And it, so uh, I, I think... Both you guys have done a bunch of VB stuff before, right? No, we're, we both do both. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, but one of the cool VB features, I think, is when you type in VB code and you make a syntax error or, or some kind of semantic error, mm-hmm. like, you know immediately. Background the compiler. compiler. The, background, the background compiler. Yeah, I the VB compiler is running in the background all the time. Yeah. Um, and uh, poor old C-sharp developers have been without this feature until now. That's what makes them so grouchy. Well, you know? yeah. well it's not really the background compiler, though, is it? It's not really a compiler. Well, it depends on how you want to I say it. I think it's a gen- yeah, it's just generalizing the 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 functionality. It's a, it's a better parser, isn't it? Yeah. But but, you know, it is is a fully full feature. It's not just, you know, is this a keyword or not? You know, it's not, is this a valid statement to to type here? But yeah, it's not a compiler in the sense that it doesn't actually generate executable code. Yeah. But it does the, effectively the same thing as the VB background compiler. Yeah. So now, yeah. So now we're adding support so that you know, as you're typing C sharp code, you get this little, the little kind of red squiggly or green squiggly under things just while you're typing. You don't have to build first to to get that to happen. So that's, that's a very sort of seamless. Now, have you had experience. feedback from C sharp uh, developers on this? Do they like it? Because I, you know, I know a lot of C sharp developers who say they don't want. That kind yeah, of I stuff. think the feedback from the C sharp guys was they don't want it to be intrusive, right? They don't want it to be you know a jarring experience within the IDE, um, right? They, they want it to be kind of a smooth thing, like a subtle thing that you just kind of notice happening in the right. in the background. Okay, so it's really an on the fly syntax check that then yep. marks. I don't think that's right. You're right, exactly. So, for example, if if you don't define if you use a variable before you've initialized it. You don't yeah. have to wait to build to get that error. Where you first use it before you've initialized it, it'll just underline that variable, and and then you. And highlight if I then go up that. and initialize it, will the squiggle just go away? Exactly. If you yeah. go beautiful. up and initialize it, boom, the squiggle goes away. It's beautiful. Wow. I, pl- I had a lot of fun playing with that last night. And it's something VB's always done. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so my next big category, I think, is my last big category before we get to my super favorite secret feature. Um, and that is that is the data space. Right. I would say this is probably one of the bigger ones that we did. Um, uh, uh, Omar already mentioned all the work we did with SQL Server 2008. We plumbed that through Visual Studio. Um, the next big one was the is the Entity Framework is now a core part of the .NET Framework. Um, so you can get the whole uh, object relational mapping, uh, uh, kind of robustness that Entity Framework brings to the table on that. Yeah. And, and so is uh, last time I looked, Entity Framework were still in beta. Are we talking about a final now when it goes to SP1? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So this is, you know, this is basically when SP... We're, we're, we're announcing this as kind of a beta of SP1 is what sh- what's shipping today. Uh, right. But uh, yeah, it'll be in the RTM. It'll be RTM quality in the RTM version of SP1. Wow, nice. Wow. So a lot of people have been worried about how are we going to deploy Entity Framework. It's good, but I don't want to add on to the framework. Uh, the good news is it's just part of SP1. Well, and um, I was fearing that it, you know when Entity Framework didn't make it into Studio 2008, I thought, oh man, it's dead. Yeah, Zach. Yeah. And we, I think we were afraid for a while. And then when I saw that work was still going on, I had some more confidence. But it's it's such a relief to see it ship. Well, and then yep. we saw, and then we heard about Astoria using it, and then that sort of yep. was like, okay, well, it's real, you know? Yeah. Yep. So, um, not so it's there in the runtime as a part of Dynamic Framework um, three five SP one, but it's also part the design experience is there uh, as part of the Visual Studio Service Pack as well. Nice. Yeah. 
Um, and then, of course, we did all the, all the right things. We have a, a data, ASP.NET data source control for it, so you can just you know, use wow. it like you would kind of uh, any of the other data sources. And wow. then you mentioned, um, you already mentioned Astoria, so it has a real name now. Uh, ADO.NET Data Services is the ah. kind of uh, marketing blessed name um, for, for ADO.NET. I mean, I mean, sorry, for, for Astoria. Um, and so we have support within, uh, natively within Visual Studio now. You can just go in and add new item and add a data service, and you go and uncommon a couple of lines, and boom, now you have a REST-based um, view of your of your relational data. Nice. Wow. And so, just to clarify here, yeah. Astoria or data services is built on the Entity Framework, or what's the relationship there? So, Entity Framework is a source for data that the Entity Frame that so Entity Framework is a source of data that Astoria can use. Okay, it doesn't have to use, but it can. So, Astoria can also go against other data sources. Excellent. Um, yep. Just yeah, I just want to make those relationships clear. I think it's important that we get all yeah, that. Oh right. yeah, no, totally. I mean, the other thing that I didn't mention here, I guess. Oh, so the next one on my list here is is um, both the Entity Framework as well as ADO.NET generally um, have a enhanced set of providers. So I know people have been really wanting to do the kind of link support, but they have an Oracle database, or they have right. uh, MySQL, or you know, they have SQLite, uh, and so. Um, with SP1, uh, our partners are shipping lots and lots of providers for uh, for DB2, MySQL, SQLite, Sybase, VistaDB. Uh, all these databases will be supported. Wow, that's really that's exciting! That's very exciting. Yeah, so there's kind of a ton of a ton of stuff here for for data developers as well. All right, I think it's time. Oh, is it time for the so. favorite one? I know what it is now because it's the only you one know left what it on is? the list. Well, I gave you the list ahead of time, <laughs> so you got it now. <laughs> I could tell you the story of back in the late nineties where we were talking about this in the early days of the CLR about you know what what security model we wanted for for managed code and whatnot. And um, if you work in an environment with more than one machine, my hunch is you've run into this issue. Yes, you have. Where you run. A .NET XE off a network share, and you, you can't get do that. Yeah, a security exception. You get smacked down. Message. Smack. And there's, yeah, you know, I did the look on the blogs at this, and there's like a hundred ways around. There's like turn off .NET security, or you know, uh, run this just bat file, which turns off security on your machine, or, or right. something like that. Um, and so we have, in this SP, we have enabled, we have brought into parity such that managed XEs work exactly the same way um, native code XEs work. Well, it makes sense because you've already got security that got you to the network share. Exactly, right? exactly. You already have That's a trusted right. relationship with You can't that, put this data. on, on uh, like a um, HTTP endpoint. No, no, of course it, you not. Know, it has to be a UNC share but yeah it's it is very it's a very cool feature i got i got so excited to play it was, it was uh this uh last night or the night before was the first time i actually played with it i mean wow. I, so wow yeah. that's that's awesome thank you <laughs> yeah i think i think um i think you know on my on my blog i uh i asked if, you know a while back right after we shipped 2008 what people thought because i was still have you know having this you know was it eight nine year old argument about this thing 
And the feedback was overwhelming. It's the most commented blog post I have. Wow. wow. Uh, it was just overwhelming feedback. And that, I got to tell you, it was, I was at the ship meeting where this decision was taken, uh, where it was decided, and that was a huge thing that, that the amount of pain that this is causing people, how vocal people were. So, um, thank you for commenting. Yeah, why would anybody object to that? I'm just curious. What was the, I mean, what well, was the let me whole roll idea? Back, I mean, if you roll back the clock and think yeah. about, you know, .NET and kind of where we were, we're trying to redefine the way apps are built and say, look, there's a security model that, you know, we just don't want applications, any applications to, to work outside of this sandbox. We want all apps to run in this sort of sandbox. Um, and that is... Uh, in some ways, it's a little bit happening, right, with, with Silverlight, and you're getting a lot more .NET apps running in a sandbox. Um, but the uh, but the kind of the theory at the time was that we wanted to kind of maximize the number of apps that would run within the sandbox. And there was this big compromise that was made for managed apps that ran from a local share. That was viewed, viewed as the compromise. Awesome. Does that make any sense? No, it does. Yeah, it does. It just doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, nonetheless, I'm very glad to see that we we have this feed, and I think it'll I think that'll it'll prove to be one that that um, people will hopefully respond positively to. And so when is when is this available? Is it available yeah, right so now? It's available you're today. To this? Yeah. So yes. Uh, so go. So calls to action. I would love it if. Uh, people would go and, and install uh, SP1, install uh, Visual Studio 2008 on Dyna Framework 3.5 SP1. Uh, try it out on your apps. I'm particularly interested in um, kind of application compat issues. Like 100% of your projects should just work. Every one of your apps should just run on SP1. We shouldn't have made any breaking changes. So if you run across anything... Yeah, there should anything, be no reason to revise code at all. It should simply work. That's right. right. That's right. So that's IJ the first thing I would ask, is if people could just run it on their apps and let let us know if it if it breaks anything, because uh, we definitely want to hear about those. And when and you it, say let us know, you mean connect.microsoft.com? Connect.microsoft.com. Comment on this show's forum. I'm sure I'll be listening. But you no, bet. Connect would be best. Connect would be the best forum. Okay. Um, and then, you know... Uh, there's a ton. We've talked about a ton of new features here. Uh, many of them have been in development. You've seen them publicly for quite a while, but I'd love people to try those out too in their production form and let us know. You know, I got to thank you one more time just for choosing our little show to uh, to bring forth the news of this. Well, I great, am so uh, happy to break the silence on SP1 uh, <laughs> on .NET Rocks. I think that's a that's an excellent excellent tradition. Fabulous. Yeah, it was it was my pleasure as well. Although I think uh, I think next time I'll have to make sure that I'll have a list prepared so that oh. I know. That, that <laughs> I, know that, uh, I think you like need Brad your own. His, uh, his areas to to. Oh yes. To enhance oh yes. I should have warned you. I know. I didn't. I didn't get the warning. I think so, if yeah. you just picked like a couple of really really minor changes and just so that you had more volume, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you might have. Right. Definitely. So, but uh, I'd love to be back and uh, next time. Yeah, I think Omar more... needs to have a show on his own. I, yeah. uh, trying to talk past Brad Abrams not an easy thing to do. Absolutely. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. All right, guys, you have a good time now. Have a good night. All right. All and right. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks. Bye bye. And we will see you next time with .NET 3.5 SP1 on .NET Rocks.
Dotnet Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC Yes, I'm a, a dog